bomb goes off in front of the stadium. They blew up an army tank. Pablo Escobar's people. I think the show's over. My sisters, Julio G, we're huddled all close to each other. We've never seen no shit like this. Promoter comes in. You're on in five minutes. Here it comes. Hey, here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era where we tell stories of the legends from the golden era of hip-hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. On today's episode, we dive into the story of Mellow Man Ace. He was one of the first hip-hop artists to rap in Spanish and in English. These days, some of the hottest rappers rap in Spanish, including Cardi B and Bad Bunny. And being a Latinx rapper isn't really a far-fetched idea. But back in the 80s, when Mellow Man Ace came out, no one had heard anything like it. He planted his flag in hip-hop by using his Cuban heritage to propel him forward, and he was also instrumental in the formation of the legendary hip-hop group, Cypress Hill. To tell Mellow Man Ace's story, we have to go back. Back to Cuba during the Cold War. I was born in 1967 in Pinar del Rio, Cuba. And it's almost like music was his birthright. My first name is Ul Piano, so the word piano is in my name. And he was surrounded by musicians, including his grandfather. According to, you know, legend, he created uh, this rhythm called Danzón. family business is music. Here's why. My grandfather was a composer. His son, Ulpiano, was a uh, clarinet and saxophone player. Uncle Ulpiano's sons, keyboardist and a violinist. My other cousin, Ray, trombone player. His younger brother, Ivan, is a percussionist. Their sister, a pianist. My mother sang in the church. Then you have Sendog. That's Sendog from Cypress Hill. He and Mellow Man Ace are actually brothers. But before that, his family was settled in Cuba under the reign of Fidel Castro. Castro convinced the Cuban people he was their liberator, and they freely gave him the reins of government, a free hand that he betrayed when he announced he was a Marxist. In being opposed to Fidel Castro's Marxist ideas, the Reyes family looked for a way out. There was this thing called the Flights of Liberty. In order to get on the Flights of Liberty, somebody in your family had to win the Cuban lottery. And when you signed up for the Cuban lottery, the Cuban government took notice. In Cuba at that time, when they filed their paperwork, what they did was they stripped my dad of his teaching credentials and put him to work in the sugar cane fields and in the sewers. They told him, why would you want to go to America? These are the kind of jobs you're going to have. He would endure this for years, but he knew that he had to leave no matter what. In fact, they had already signed up for this lottery twice before with Mellow Man Ace's older brother and sister. But you know what they say about the third time. One day, the Reyes family gets an unexpected visitor. There was a military police that came to the door. Since we lived at my grandfather's house with also an uncle by the name of Ulpiano, the police officer says, I need to speak to Ulpiano Reyes. My uncle Ulpiano comes to the door and he goes, no, 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 no. So my mother comes with me, and I'm in her hands. You know, I'm a little kid. And he goes, yeah, that one uh, has won the Cuban lottery. You're eligible to leave the country. Pack your shit and get the fuck on. The Reyes family won the Cuban lottery, all thanks to him. Now their dreams were coming true, and they were headed to the United States. Here, 95 federal and volunteer workers are preparing for the twice-daily arrival of Eastern Airlines Flight 8584 from the island of Cuba and its very special human cargo. 
The Reyes family would settle in Los Angeles. They lived in a neighborhood called Southgate, and this transition came with a lot of adversity. A new language, a new culture, society. The black kids hated us because we were kind of light-skinned with good hair. The Mexican kids hated us because we were black and spoke fluent Spanish, and we were always bickering over something so silly and minute. And I mean, just boxing out in the street. My, my little sister Anna was really light-skinned. The other girls would pull her hair and then the older brothers would get involved and my sister would have to call me and send dog to come down the street. And we, I think we spent the entire 70s just fighting. They spent a lot of time justifying their identity in this new land. And their parents brought with them a piece of Cuba and the music they would listen to at home. Anything Celia Cruz. Tito Puente. Freddie Pacheco, a Gran Combo, Willie Bobo, and all that kind of stuff, Mongo Santa Maria. I never really, at that time, didn't appreciate it yet. I was trying to learn this American thing, so my thing was more Elvis Presley and the Beatles, the stuff that came out on popular radio at that time. So what my father was playing at home was more you know, but we had to, we had to put that away because we were getting ridiculed for that. Here. And things were pretty bad up until middle school, but that's when his parents' hard work paid off. My parents were able to save up enough money now for a down payment for a house, and that's where we moved to Cypress Ave. So now I'm 12. Now we have a three-bedroom house. Me and Sen had our own room. Bring our fucking posters out, put our hats up on the wall. But at this time, they weren't thinking about being musicians, and being a rap star didn't exist yet. The dream that their father latched onto for them was baseball. If you make it to the major leagues, he's set as a father. You know what I mean? He's in the stands. He's laid out. He's going to be put on camera. There's his son pitching for the Dodgers. He's thinking all these things. And for a while, so was I. I really believed it, and I bought into it, and I was really good. He showed us an avenue, like, this is your way out. You know what I mean? And he took this dream serious enough that he was being scouted by Mike Brito of the Dodgers. He was on track to the major leagues. Ninth grade now, the coach had already scouted me to come play varsity ball at 15. All he had to do was keep his grades up. But this was a little bit of a problem for him because academics weren't necessarily his strong suit. <sighs> and, you know, couldn't make the grade, man. And when my dad found out, it was... He shut his mouth to me. I could not ask him anything in the house. It was just... Mm. Just this look of utter disgust, you know? It's like, <laughs> but from then on, if I did anything wrong, he was going to whoop my ass every time. And he did. Uh, when I got caught stealing batteries down at Safeway, beat down. If I stole some money from my aunt, beat down, beat down, beat down. I mean, if I cut class, beat down, beat down when I got home. It seemed as though baseball was out the window, and he needed something to fill his time so that he wouldn't get in trouble. And just a few years prior, he had already been introduced to hip-hop. Italian kid moves from New York to our city. Used to come to school with a boombox, and he would walk down the street, come to school, bring the box, and at lunchtime, boom, and these are the bricks. Break it up, break it up, break it up! What the hell is that? We hadn't heard anything like that. It was either the Jackson 5 or the Silvers. Here comes this hippity, you know, these guys rapping in cadence. That's That shit was like, yo, 
And I, I, I had to ask him, Karma, who, who is this? What is it? He goes, man, that's rap. It's rap music, rap music. Hmm. But in the same time period, there was a guy by the last name of Andrade. Now, the Andrades owned a salon. One day he says, hey, man, everybody come to our salon. I got turntables and I'm going to play some records. So when I get there, he's got every Sugar Hill Records vinyl, The Mean Machine. We're the disco dream called Mean Machine. Rapping to the river with the greatest of beat. Furious Five, Spoony G. And he's playing all this shit back to back. That shit changed my life, you know? Young Opiano was starting to see that there was an avenue to greatness called hip-hop. Coming up, Young Opiano goes from b-boying to rapping to labels. And in the process, every step would come with a fight. A fight for expression, a fight to protect his progress, and eventually a fight within for his life. Stay tuned. Yo, what's the deal? You got the black sheep, D-R-E-S, yes. And I want y'all to know right here, right now, stupid-fly.com is the place to be. Yo, you got hats, you got t-shirts, and all kind of flyness that you can get your hands on. Not only that, you can check out some of the flyest podcasts you've ever heard in your life. And that would be Stupid Fly Media on Instagram and Facebook. Why? Because they stupid fly. All right. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back. Mellow Man Ace had won the Cuban lottery and brought his family to the United States. They landed in Los Angeles, and the road to them getting accustomed to this new land so far have been pretty rough. Luckily, there was hip-hop, and young Opiano and his brother Sindog, they started to experiment with b-boying. Locking and spinning on our back and trying to learn and moving the furniture in the living room back so that we can learn how to do a windmill without breaking our heads, you know? And this was something that his parents didn't really mind. They see us dancing in the, in, in, front, in the front lawn with cardboard and the radio, and they were cool with it, you know? Even my dad, you know, he didn't say shit about it. He walked by the house and go, hey, look at these motherfuckers dancing again. But my mom was more like, she'd stand out there and watch us for a while. He was having fun just messing around, b-boying with his brother and a few other guys. It even came equipped with his own b-boy name. My name was 
B-Boy Pretzel. And B-Boy Pretzel was around other kids at the time who were just as in love with hip-hop as he was. And then I met I met B-Real. B-Real of Cypress Hill. The one on the flam, boy, temper, just toss that ham in the frying pan. At the time, his name was Jeep Jeep. He was in another breakdance crew and hung out with these other cool kids. And uh, the, the one kid, Sugar Pop, was really nice. And as I got better, I was able to join them. We had a crew called the LAB Boys, I believe it was. And breakdancing gave him his first taste of what it might be like to be a professional in hip hop. Now we had seen Beach Street on the big screen. Wild style. Wild style. The house will rock. What those movies did to me was tell me that, hey, if you do this right, you could be us on the big screen, right? So the guys in the breakdance crew were more concerned with getting girls after the battle, and that was it. I'm like, no, I want to go big time, so fuck what you guys are doing. So that day I made a choice to go up to the high school where I knew they would be, and I got Be Real, and I snatched him. I said, fuck all you guys. I'm taking him with me. And we're going to go be on the fucking big screen and do some real shit. And they're like, fuck you, I don't give a shit, fuck you. So they, we, I took Be Real and I took him on our block on Cypress Ave. Just a quiet cap, humble, but he had a good look to him. And he knew what he was doing when he was popping. So I'm like, come on, you come. I don't know what possessed me to do that. And I, that's when I introduced him to my brother. Be Real meets Sendog. Eventually, DJ Muggs would join the two and create Cypress Hill. Of course, nobody knew what was around the corner for them, but young Opiano knew that he had a purpose. At that time, I was very headstrong. I would, some might even say conceited at that time. Very about me. And I knew I had a purpose because I had already won the lotto. I, my family, I grew up, they were calling me the lucky charm, you know, and I'm the lucky one. I'm the one, you know, and I always felt that. You know, and I think that had more to do with it than anything else. Just the fact that I, hey, I got my family here. I can do anything. That was a big part of that mind and thought process back then. Being unstoppable, like I can do anything I want to do. And my parents were really good about that. They always say, if you're going to be a garbage man, be the best garbage man. If you're going to be a cop, be the best cop. And just growing up, being, knowing that I, I, I accomplished that. I brought my family here. That itself, that one thing gave me this ultra self-confidence that I can do anything. And that ultra self-confidence led him and his crew to go for it. He had seen the promised land and he was going to try to get there no matter what, even if he had to go through other crews. One of our first competitions as B-Boys, we had a polished crew, we thought. Uh, we, we had an audition up at Southgate Park for a, a movie company that was coming or something or other like that, and they wanted to audition dancers. We go up to Southgate Park Auditorium. Lo and behold, there was another crew from Linwood. DJ Julio G was a part of with another Puerto Rican cat. I forget his name now. Um, Wizard was his name. Wizard had beat us to the audition. Now we get there, and they're like, no, nah, the doors are closed. We thought you got, that was you guys. No, they already left and blah, blah, blah. So as we're walking through the park, we see the other crew. And we're like, hey, motherfuckers, what's up? You stole our fucking audition. What's that? Oh, man, fuck you, motherfuckers. We went up to them. I punched Wizard right in his face. Bam! Boom! 
boom, now we're tussling. Nah, boom, boom, boom. Whatever. Julio G's like, nah, man, fucking dude, don't fucking do that shit, Opie, man. It's me, Be Real, a couple other guys, Sugar Pop, no audition, but that was the battle, you know what I mean? And that set up a rivalry. And But Julio G and I became best of friends, and when I started the tour, um, Julio G was my first tour DJ. But before we get too far ahead, before Mellow Man Ace could dream of going on tour as a rapper, he was just a connoisseur of the art form. And they would do anything to participate, including climb Mount Hollywood. The Raising Hell Tour, Run DMC, LL Cool J, the Beastie Boys Houdini... Me, Send Dog, Mugs, and Be Real had to hike that mountain right there with our Jack Daniels and our fucking dime bags because we couldn't afford to get in. That was my first rap show from the mountains of the Greek theater. It was great, and I think for all of us, we took it away. We took away something that day that, that affected us. We all walked away going, that's who the fuck we're going to be. It wouldn't take long before they would start getting opportunities. And their community of hip-hop artists and enthusiasts was only growing. One of the connections they made came from their friend Skeeter the Repeater. Turns out he had met a girl that he really liked. They met somewhere one night, and they were hanging out. I don't know what happened, but he came back to the block excited, like, yo, man, I met this girl named Lynn, and then I met these other two niggas. Named Bre- they were brothers, Brett and Sean. Brett and Sean of the group 783. So we meet Brett and Sean, and then they say, yo, we got a DJ from Queens here. His name is DJ Muggs. We meet Muggs that way, and we just hit it off because he was so B-boy-minded, so were we. DJ Muggs, Brett B, Sean B., who would then introduce us, I think, to Son Doobie. Um, myself, Sendog, B-Real, and Muggs. And then off, you know, Skeeter was the facilitator. Something was bound to happen. And then 7A3, lo and behold, got a record deal on Geffen Records. You gotta understand how monumental this is for a crew. One part of the crew being put on is like everybody gets on. Similar to the opportunities that open up once you hit the Cuban lottery, one member of the family getting a record deal exposes the rest of the family to opportunities they had only dreamed of. But once 7A3 got their deal, it didn't feel like that was gonna happen. DJ Muggs was my DJ now at this time, but Muggs broke back away to go with 7A3 once they got their deal. Now we're thinking, whoa, what the fuck, you know? But one thing I learned was there that you can't let any one man stop your goal. And they went and did Coolin' in Cali and they did a song called Why for the movie Colors. And that's the day that Muggs came on the block. He wanted somebody to roll with him to that studio session at Delicious Vinyl Records. Nobody else was there. I happened to be there. I said, yeah, I'll go with you. And that's when we get there. He's working with 783. I meet Matt Dyke, Michael Ross. And they're just hanging in the studio when Mike Ross comes up. Yes, cool session, man. Good, 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 good. I just started my own record company, man. Me and my partner, Matt, man. It's called Delicious Vinyl, man. We signed a guy by the name of Tone Loke. Wow, man. Loke, it's crazy, man. Loke. And a guy from USC, his name is Young MC. And that's when I kind of raised my hand in the back of the classroom. Ooh, teacher, teacher, you know. I was like, 
Yeah, that's cool. I rap too, man. I even rap in Spanish. And they were like, Spanish? Oh, yeah. Along with B-boying, Mellow Man Ace was a rapper. He had been honing his skills back on the block in Southgate. And being a Cuban immigrant who spoke only Spanish when he first arrived to the States and having to fight about that gave him the courage to go ahead and rap in English and in Spanish. And I'm like, yeah. They said, well, why don't you bust something? Let's hear what you got. So I did this rhyme that I been telling all in the neighborhoods. Cuando llego a la casa, esto lo que pasa. Empiezo a gozar con toda la raza. And they're going, oh, shit. Come back tomorrow. We're going to put you on a tape. If we, if you sound dope in the studio, we're going to give you a fucking deal. Next thing you know, I borrow my mom's car to go back to the studio. He gets on the mic, delivers his lines, and they loved it. They're like, Dude, we're going to give you a fucking deal. This was Mellow Man Ace's chance to be the lucky charm once again and put his family on. Here's my opportunity. Although Sen and B weren't there, I had told them, I said, yeah, man, I got my my brother and my partner. They with me, too. They're like, okay, cool, but we're going to give you the deal first. Sue, whatever. Sue, whatever. And uh, at that time, Muggs didn't want me to take that deal. Remember, he had already left. And so we did the single deal, and um, I believe Muggs told Sen and B not to not to um, sign with them because they were going to fuck Mellow, and we'll see. Watch. Like I said, nothing for Mellow Man Ace was going to come easy. Everything came with a fight, and he was about to see just what he was made of. This new life of success would take him to the highest heights, all the way down to rock bottom. Coming up, Mellow Man Ace drops his classic song, Mentirosa, and the rap game is never the same. We'll be right back. Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer. Or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin, brought to you by Stupid Fly. You can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop gamecast. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery Starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. Young Mellow Man Ace had fought long and hard to find where he belonged, and he landed on hip-hop. Through sheer force of will, he became a b-boy. And no matter what, he held on to the belief that he was going to be somebody. And he was going to use hip-hop, specifically rap, to do it. He even decided to do something that no one had really heard of before. Rapping in Spanish. There was a guy, one rapper by the name of Mr. Schick of the Mean Machine. They did a song called Disco Dream. Tomahawk Funk, a funk dubious, one day I'm at his house and he played me the tape. The song was English, but toward the end, they let him rap in Spanish. And he did this rhyme that I'll never forget. So Mr. Shit, get my side. Yo, yo, cool. Show the party people you can rap like too. Wepa, wepa, ahí nada más. Les abrí las puertas a este ritmo, si que tanto les fascina. Se lo traje en español, mi gente, para América Latina. So there wasn't no Spanish rap genre. It was one guy rapping that did a little part in a song on Sugar Hill. Then they got dropped off the label. So we never heard again from him. I said, I want to be like that guy. I want to be like that guy. That's why I started rapping in Spanish in the first place. I wanted to be like Mr. Schick. And Tomahawk Funk would make one other contribution to Mellow Man Ace's career. His name. Here's what happened. One night we're doing a cypher in the street. Some One of us is banging a beat on a car hood. I happen to have a mini tape recorder and I'm tape recording the session. B's rapping, t- Tomahawk's rapping, send the, the rap. I start rapping, then Tomahawk comes back out and he's rapping and he says, and I'm chilling with Send Dog and my mellow man Ace. At that time, my name was Ace Cool. Anyway, the next day, without nothing of it, I play back the tape. And he says, and my mellow man Ace. Because at the time, in hip-hop, if you call somebody your mellow, yo, what up, my mellow? That means that's your dog, right? Especially on the East Coast. He says, my mellow man Ace. I'm like, damn, that kind of rolls off the tongue right there, bro. So young Opiano is mellow man Ace, and he's ready for the world. All of this hustle and determination was going to pay off. But first, he had to pay his dues. Once he signed to Delicious Vinyl, the work started, including recording demos and performing at concerts. And one of these concerts in particular taught him that being a professional at all times would pay off. Tone Loke, myself, I want to say Young was on that bill, and we were opening up for Tila Rock. And we thought we were going to make it, and we are going to get chicks all over the at the end of the show. San Diego State University, big campus hall there. And we get there, man, and it's 10 people in the fucking arena. But getting your hopes up to perform only for a handful of people just came with the territory. So Everybody went 110%. One of those 10 people happened to be a guy by the name of Kenny Ortiz, who was sent there from L.A. by Capitol Records to talk to me. Turns out he's a black Cuban guy, A&R. Capital loves my Spanish shit. They want to sign me. And I said, but I'm signed to Delicious Vinyl. He's like, we don't care. We're going to buy out that contract. And they did. So now Mellow Man Ace has a record contract with a major label. Now he's set to begin working on his debut album, Escape from Havana. The advance was awesome. So I was able to pay Muggs and the Dust Brothers, Mario Caldado, Matt Dyke, Def Jeff, uh, Johnny Rivers. So many great heads working on something. It was bound to work. So day in and day out, they crafted songs that would go on the album. That's when producer Tony G gets a stroke of inspiration that'll create a staple in hip-hop. 
we're toward the end of the record, and he at this time he lived at his mother's house. He had a studio there. This particular day, he had his SB twelve hundred on the um, pool table, more in like a, a dining area, not in the studio. And he puts in a blue disc, or puts in a blue disc, and it's these drums, you know. Um, it's the Santana sample um, of Evil Ways. And he's like, yo, this is the shit right here. This one right here, you got to do this shit. And I was like, eh, it wasn't really the fastest record, you know. I was like, but one thing I, I, I did do, he, he, said, he said, I don't know how you're going to do it. I know that you rap English in English and you can rap in Spanish. I don't know how you're going to do this, but don't come back until it's bilingual. That's never been done. He goes, I know. Do it. <sighs> All right, man. He makes me a cassette of it, looped it, gave me the cassette, and I go home. I remember I called Be Real over at the time now. His name was Chili Chill. We're drinking a 40 and smoking a joint out in front of my mom's house in his Pinto. We're drinking a 40. All we have is check this out, baby. And Be Real came up with that. 45 minutes go through, go by. We're drinking 40s. I had to go use the restroom, take a piss. And I go in, and that's when I hear the kid next door tell his mother verbatim. He says, Ama, I'm going to the liquor store. Orita vengo. And I swear to God, I was like, holy shit, that's the style. That's the style right there. If I do one line in English, one line in Spanish, put the rapping word on the corresponding language, I got the style. Get back to the car. I said, turn the beat on it. Check this out, baby. And out of nowhere... I just said, tenemos tremendo lío. We got a problem, bitch. You right? And then I just said, last night, you didn't go. A la casa de tu tío. Now I just kept this process going. Resulta said, hey, you were at a party. Higher than the sky, you borrachara de Bacardi. No, I wasn't. I bet you didn't know. Que conocí a cantinero. What? He told me you were drinking and wasting my dinero. Lo and behold, I go back, I track it, and he's like, what's the hook? I go, I ain't got no fucking hook. And then he just came in with those, started scratching. Okay, let me jump back in there and do the second verse. And that's how that came about. They wrap up recording of Escape to Havana. We got a release date, and um, the first single was Rhyme Fighter. Coming from the West, a rhyme fight. Let's use guns, nah, that just ain't right above the dust and crush with my mouth. Show them practice what it's all about fighting. And couldn't give it away. We couldn't give it away. Although there was a core fan base built by it, a lot of, you know, real purists, hip-hop purists loved that record, but we couldn't give it away. Not for capital standards. So they came to me and they said, look, we're going to try a different approach. We want to do Mentorosa as the second single, but if it doesn't work, 
We'll have to cut you loose. They released Mentirosa in March of 1990. It hit the Billboard Hot 100 at number 14, followed by Billboard Hot R&B singles, Billboard Hot rap singles, Billboard Hot dance music, Billboard Hot Latin tracks, and then the UK singles chart. Needless to say, all that talk about dropping him from Capitol Records, silenced. Lo and behold, I mean, we came and blew the doors off the Spanish and English market, creating a genre that didn't exist with records like that, like Mentirosa especially. And since they were representing an underserved market, he and his DJ, remember Julio G, knew they were going to go on tour, and they hit TV. Um, after the success, I'm, you know, I'm on Arsenio Hall. and Yo, Julio G, pump that beat, beat. Soul Train and all that kind of stuff. And I decided to go to the supermarket to get some groceries one day or whatever. And I was starting to get stopped left and right. When I got stopped and couldn't do the grocery stop, uh, shopping, I knew that I had made it and I wasn't ready for that part of the game. Nobody taught me that. Nobody let me know that that part was coming. But luckily for him, while everything around him was changing, he got to take his family with him. Well, my dad always said, whoever makes it, bring the rest of your family. And so I did. And Sen was the hype man. My two sisters, you can see us all on our Arsenio Hall footage right now, you know? And he got to take his family with him all around the world, including a pretty crazy show in Bogota, Colombia, opening up for air supply, 60,000 people in the football stadium. They were all waiting for the show to start when boom! Bomb goes off in front of the stadium. They blew up an army tank, uh, Pablo Escobar's people. I think the show's over. My sisters, Julio G, were huddled all close to each other. We'd never seen no shit like this. I guess we came all this way for nothing. We're going home. Promoter comes in. You're on in five minutes. We're like, what? Y'all just blew up a tank out in front of the stadium. The fuck are you talking about? No, no, no. This happens all the time. Don't worry about that. Get on stage. We go out there, 60,000 screaming fans. Pablo Escobar or no, he had a job to do. This was his dream, the thing that he had worked for his teenage and adult life. And with the success of Mentirosa and his first album, he was set to go further with his sophomore album. And since he had done so well, this meant he got a pay raise. The advance for this next album was a quarter million dollars. But unfortunately, because I had some shady managers involved in, the, in that process, I never got the money. It was just paid out and allocated. And I don't know if everybody who was supposed to get theirs got theirs, I know I didn't. Nevertheless, he started working on his sophomore album, The Brother with Two Tongues. I was having fun with it. I was having fun. And I think um, what killed the, the record to me was we had used the Fly Robin Fly sample. For a record that was going to be really huge, I felt. And we had this video and Mike Miller shot all the stuff, you know, the artwork. Julio G produced a great track, and it, I thought it was going to be awesome. It was gonna, um, they didn't, they couldn't clear it for whatever reason, which I don't know why. We had plenty of money on deck, and um, so we started. I started to get like execs come by the studio. Hey, how many times are you saying the word nigga? Maybe you should tone that back, peel it down, you know, strip it, you know, strip it down, you know, start kind of, you know, all these other things. And I'm like, what the fuck part of the game is this? Where were you guys when I was setting this whole thing up? Now you want to come in like y'all had something to do with this shit? And secondly, the MC Hammer scandal. 
happens at Capitol. Allegedly, the label had been buying and shipping their own records to their own warehouse. Pre-ordering his own album, so when they did write-ups in the magazines, it said he'd ship gold. This was pretty illegal. The FBI raids Capitol Records, and they clean house. Everybody's replaced with new A&Rs and new people that don't know who we are, fresh out of college. It was a hot mess. But the actual process of creating that album, I had a really good time with it. I felt that I created some styles that still hadn't been heard yet. And had they had the right moment to shine at radio, some of them could have worked. But um, what happened was I, I'm waiting for all these things to unfold at this time. Capital's going through this. My lawyer's telling me another, the whole tight. We'll work on this third album. We'll get it going. You're going to have a half a million dollars on that one. So great. I start partying. I got a lot of money. Cool. I'm chilling up in the hills. Next thing you know, I'm using cocaine and fucking loving it. Every minute of it, whores and coke and booze and just having a good time. And it's all getting away from me. And I'm waiting and waiting and I'm calling my lawyer. But every time I call him, that's a $300 call. You know, Bill's got to get taken care of. This guy, that. Why are we, you know. Next thing you know, I'm a full-blown drug addict. To make matters worse, that 500000 never materialized. Because it took so long and capital never really rebounded and all that. I was like, man, just get me off the label. And as the years went on, he would do more work, especially with Cypress Hill. But his demons caught up with him. I went to my mom's house one day and she said, you can't come in. And I, I, I was like, whoa, you know. Because she thought I was going to steal something and hawk it or something. Because I had even pawned my gold and platinum records for dope now. I went and bought them all back. But at that time, I did that. And when she said no, I walked down to her by her side street. There's a big bridge there on Telegraph Road and an overpass down below is the L.A. River. And I got on top and I said, fuck it. I'm going to jump to my death. I'm going to fucking kill myself here. At the time, my son Cuba was in, in the womb. My girl was pregnant at the time. And, and, and I said to myself, what's going to be the story they tell your son, dude? You're going to be okay with this fucking story? And ultimately, I said, nah, I'm not cool with this story. Jumped off, walked down by a park down in, a, in Downey, and I sat there and I thought. And from that day on, I started to put my shit back together, get my life back together. And that's when a little bit after Muggs called and said, hey, man, come write this album with us, you know. And some other friends, you know, just people picked me up and said, hey, we know what you're going through, you know. Come on. It turns out after reaching such high heights only to hit rock bottom, the family he always wanted to be a lucky charm for ended up freeing him. Mellow Man Ace is widely regarded as the godfather of Spanish rap. Through all the adversity from getting to the United States only to be ridiculed for who you are to fighting to be a part of hip-hop and fighting to become successful, the thing that carried him forward was the evidence and the belief that he had a purpose. And it's possible that without him, you don't get the huge market for Latin rappers all around the world. Mellow Man Ace went on to record six more studio albums, including including one called Ghetto Therapy with his brother Sindog. These days, you could catch him on his podcast, Havana Lounge, and even listen to new music that he drops regularly. Fresh.
Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and buttoned up by the amazing DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett definitely knows the vibe. Sean Berman is our mix engineer. Music by The Math Club. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And listen, if you're craving more golden era hip-hop goodness, check out our game show. It's called Headspin. It's a good time and will definitely test your golden era hip-hop knowledge. Headspin is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Fresh Era Podcast and at Stupid Fly Media. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.